God's holy word together, we turn first in the Old Testament to 2 Kings 24, the second book of Kings, chapter 24. And following that, we'll turn in the New Testament to Revelation chapter 4. First then, 2 Kings 24, we read the verses 8 through 17. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up to Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon, himself and his mother and his servants and his officials and his palace officials. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign and carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord, which Solomon, king of Israel, had made, as the Lord had foretold. He carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and the smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officials, and the chief men of the land he took into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon all the men of valor, 7,000, and the craftsmen and the metal workers, 1,000, all of them strong and fit for war. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah Jehoiachin's uncle king in his place and changed his name to Zedekiah. Let's now turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and we'll read chapter 4. There the Apostle John, exiled on the island of Patmos, saw visions of heaven. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. 
From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So far the reading of God's word. Our text for this morning, brothers and sisters, is Ezekiel chapter 1. There we read God's word as follows. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kibar Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kibar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings on their four sides they had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side, the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. And their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, 
like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl, and the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went. And their rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them. For the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them. For the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Over the heads of the living creatures was the likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystal, spread out above their heads. And under the expanse their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another, and each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse, above their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. So far, our text for this morning. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, our text for this morning takes us to a low point in the history of God's people. It takes us to the days of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. That king brought the people of Judah and Jerusalem into exile. Now you might remember that the exile happened in two stages. The first stage is found in the passage that we read from 2 Kings 24. There we read about the short reign of King Jehoiachin. After only three months on the throne, Jehoiachin surrendered to the king of Babylon and was taken into captivity. 
Nebuchadnezzar also took along anyone who might pose a future threat to his authority. He took Jehoiachin's mother, his wives, his officers, and all the mighty of the land, the cream of the crop. Nebuchadnezzar also took the best of the army, 7,000 valiant warriors, as well as 1,000 craftsmen, and we read that he even took the smiths. The rest of the people were left behind in Jerusalem, and Nebuchadnezzar appointed Zedekiah to be their king. And so God's people were divided over two locations. One part was in Babylon, and the other part was back in the land of Judah. So that was the situation at the beginning of the book of Ezekiel. It shows us, brothers and sisters, that God's plan of salvation for his people was far from finished. After all, God does not want a divided church, but he wants one holy Catholic church standing in worship before his throne. God always works to gather his church together. And he does that through human instruments, through people whom he calls to the task. At that low point in the history of God's people, when the church was split in two, God also called two of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. One was to work among God's people in Jerusalem. That was Jeremiah. And the other was to work among God's people in Babylon. And that was Ezekiel. This morning, then, we're going to consider the call of the prophet Ezekiel. And I proclaim to you the word of God under the following theme, God reveals his glory amid his church in exile. And we will, we will see three things. He does so, first of all, to earthen vessels. Secondly, with heavenly majesty. And thirdly, in a rainbow of grace. I'll repeat that. God reveals his glory amid his church in exile to earthen vessels with heavenly majesty and in a rainbow of grace. First then, God reveals his glory to earthen vessels. Among the exiles who were carried off to Babylon was a young man by the name of Ezekiel. Ezekiel says that he was among the captives by the Kibar Canal, which is a canal in the land of Babylon. And our text begins with the words, in the 30th year. In the 30th year of what, you might ask? The Bible doesn't say in so many words. It was not the 30th year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. It was also not the 30th year of the exile, because verse 2 tells us that it had only been five years since Jehoiachin had been captured. Explainers have long puzzled over these words, but the simplest explanation is probably that it was the 30th year of Ezekiel's life. Now, why would Ezekiel want to tell us that, that he was 30 years old? Well, I'd like you to notice that Ezekiel was from a priestly family. Verse 3 introduces him as Ezekiel the priest. 
The 30th year was a very special year in the life of a priest. The Bible tells us in Numbers 4, verse 30, that a priest was to enter the service of the tabernacle when he reached the age of 30. So Ezekiel is telling us that this is the year when he would have become a priest. If he were still in Jerusalem, he would have begun to serve in the temple. But he's not. He's in exile and had been for the past five years already. There was no temple for him to serve, no altar for him to offer sacrifices on. You could say that Ezekiel missed out on his own ordination service. That must have been quite difficult for him. Ezekiel would have looked forward to a life of service before the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God dwelled between the cherubim, the place where generations of priests before him had ministered before the Lord. Ezekiel had been set apart for the priesthood from birth. It was in his genes. He knew from childhood already what he was going to be when he grew up. But now here he was, a priest in exile, with his whole life ahead of him empty. But think not only of Ezekiel, think also of the rest of the exiles there along the river Kibar. They were far away from the temple, away from the presence of God, away from the sacrifices. There was no more atonement for their sins, no ministry of reconciliation to take comfort from, no more fellowship with the Lord. They must have felt forsaken by God. And when you realize this, brothers and sisters, then Ezekiel's opening words kind of hit you between the eyes. He says, As I was among the exiles by the Kibar Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel in the land of the Chaldeans. The hand of the Lord was upon him there. Now, when you come right down to think about it, this was not the first time that God had spoken in Babylon. Remember, way back in Genesis 12, the word of the Lord had come to Abram, who lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. And there the Lord had spoken to Abram and said to him, Get out of your country and go to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation there, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now then, in Ezekiel's day, what had come of that blessing? Here are the children of Abram all the way back in the land of the Chaldeans again, back where they started from. Had God promises, God's promises to Abraham failed? Well, now that's why the word of the Lord comes to the prophet Ezekiel in the land of the Chaldeans. It comes in a spectacular vision of the glory of God. God sends a clear message that he is not too weak to fulfill his promises. He's not finished with his people yet. He will accomplish his purposes. He will gather his church. Just when it seems that Babylon has won and that Israel is a weak and despised people, Israel's God displays his sovereignty. 
The one phrase that keeps coming back throughout the book of Ezekiel over and over again is this phrase, that you may know that I am the Lord. That is God's message to his church in exile. God reveals his glory in exile. And the Lord does that more often in the Bible. Think of the passage that we read from the book of Revelation. There the apostle John was also in exile. He was on the island of Patmos, a forsaken, barren, rocky island. And there, God's John, there the apostle John sees a vision that is quite a bit like the vision of Ezekiel chapter 1. The heavens are opened, and he sees the four living creatures. He sees the throne of God and the one who sits on it. But notice, too, that both of those visions are given to individuals. John was alone on the island of Patmos. And the vision of our text came to Ezekiel alone. The rest of God's people there by the canal did not see it. The rest of God's people did not see it any more than we've seen this vision. They simply had to believe what Ezekiel told them. They had to take his word for it, just like we have to. They had to trust that he was a true prophet sent from God and that he wasn't making it all up. They had to respond in faith to God's revelation, just as we have to. The vision that Ezekiel saw has come down to us through the ages, recorded on the pages of the Bible. How can we be sure that it really happened? That Ezekiel really saw the things that are written in our text? We have no way of checking. There's no one who can go up to heaven for us to see whether these things are real. God wants his church to live by faith, not by sight. But God is also willing to give you faith. He informs your faith. He tells you of what can be seen, and he works it in your heart by the preaching of the gospel that you hear today. We might be tempted to say that Ezekiel is so much more fortunate than we are. After all, he was allowed to see the glory of God with his own eyes. Who gets to do that? And there's no doubt, brothers and sisters, that Ezekiel was blessed. And yet remember what the Lord Jesus said to his disciple Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Keep in mind, too, that Ezekiel would not have an easy calling. If you read on into chapter 2, you will read there that Ezekiel was going to speak to a rebellious people who would not believe. He would not have an easy life. And yet his ministry begins with a spectacular vision of God Most High. It's as though God wants to burn on Ezekiel's memory a lasting impression of God's glory. No matter what difficulties Ezekiel may face in his ministry, he must remember the greatness of the God he serves. Today, the Lord no longer reveals himself to us in visions. God's self-revelation is recorded for us on the pages of Scripture. And so ministers of the gospel don't wait for a message to fall from heaven, but they go to work with the Bible, and they devote themselves to studying it.
And yet ministers too are servants of God as the prophets of old were. And so it's good for ministers to preach about the glory and the greatness of God. We are easily inclined to put human beings in the forefront. But they are only instruments in the Lord's hands. They're only earthen vessels. The glory of God is what has to remain front and center. To God alone be the glory. Now we come to our second point, that God reveals his glory with heavenly majesty. And with this, we come to the vision itself. What exactly did Ezekiel see? He saw a storm cloud coming toward him from the north. And as the storm cloud approached, he saw that this was no ordinary cloud. A raging fire billowed out of it. Brightness surrounded it. Out of the cloud came four of the most astonishing creatures. And so taken is Ezekiel by the sight of these four creatures that he devotes 19 verses to describing them. And Ezekiel often repeats himself and almost seems to stumble over his words. It's as though he can hardly find the words to describe them. These creatures are simply out of this world. How can you describe something for which there are no words. Ezekiel does his best, and he does that by comparing them to things that we can understand. These creatures, he said, had the likeness of a man, of a human being. And yet they were different from humans as well, because each of them had four faces, and they also had four wings. Their appearance was like burning coals of fire, and when they ran back and forth, they looked like flashes of lightning. And when they flew, what a majestic sound their wings made, like the rush of many waters, like the voice of Almighty God, like the sound of an army. With their four faces, they, they could look in all four directions at once without even turning around. Each living creature had the face of a human in the front, the face of a lion on the right, the face of an ox on the left, and the face of an eagle in back. They also had hands, like a human, a bronze color, like a lion. They had feet like those of an ox, and wings like those of an eagle. And from all sides, these creatures give the impression of raw power these are not creatures to mess with. Strong as an ox, swift as an eagle, fierce as a lion, and with all the resourcefulness of a human being. Such are the four living creatures. And notice that they're called creatures. When we think of, of creatures, we often think of the earthly animals that God has made, whales and kangaroos and skunks and bats and parrots and goats and ants. I saw a praying mantis yesterday. But we forget, perhaps, that God also made creatures that are fit for life in heaven. Cherubim, seraphim, angels. You're not going to find them in a biology textbook, but they do exist. So what are these creatures that Ezekiel saw? He sees the same creatures in, in chapter 10 once again. And there, he actually gives them a name. He calls them cherubim. Well, we know what cherubim are, don't we? They're angels. 
But here we need to be careful not to get the wrong impression. Artists have taught us to picture angels as cute, roly-poly toddlers with curly hair and harps in their hands. But the living creatures of our text are nothing like that. They are fearsome beasts that inspire awe and dread. The first reference to cherubim in the Bible is found in Genesis 3, verse 24. After Adam and Eve were driven out of the Garden of Eden, cherubim were stationed on the path that led to the tree of life with a flaming sword to guard the way to keep Adam and Eve out. Well, now you know what fearsome creatures these cherubim were. There is no way that Adam and Eve could sneak past them. They even had eyes in the back of their head. And in the tabernacle, which was built later on as the people were on their way to the promised land, cherubim were woven into the fabric of the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And so cherubim functioned as a warning to sinners to stay out of the place where holy God was. Keep your distance. They had much the same function as the kind of warning sign that you see on an electrical transformer. Danger, keep out. Now, if Ezekiel had become a priest, he would have seen those pictures of the cherubim woven on the temple curtain and carved on the temple walls. And perhaps as a boy, he would in fact have seen them there. But now as a prophet, Ezekiel gets to see the real thing. So what are these cherubim doing in our text? Verse 15 gives us a bit of a clue. It says, beside each creature is a wheel so that there are also four wheels. Now notice that there are no axles between the wheels. It's not as though the cherubim have to pull the wheels. The way it's described, it seems as though the wheels are of one mind with the living creatures. The spirit of the creatures is in the wheels. They automatically go wherever the cherubim go. The movement of the wheels is connected with the movement of the creatures. When the creatures change direction, the wheels change direction. When the creatures went up or down, the wheels went up or down right along with them. And each wheel had another wheel inside it so that they could automatically rotate in all different kinds of directions, a bit like this. They could go in any way that the creatures went. What are we supposed to make of this strange combination of cherubim and wheels? Well, the Hebrew word that's used for wheels in our text is also sometimes used in the Bible for the wheels of a chariot. And there's a very interesting passage in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 18, where the cherubim are called the chariot of the Lord. And remember, too, what we sang earlier in Psalm 18, stanza 4. On cherubim he rode, so bright and splendid. On wings of wind he soared and he descended. Ezekiel 1, verse 22 tells us a bit more. It tells us that above the heads of the living creatures there was something like an expanse made of pure crystal, a platform, as it were. And above that platform was a throne. 
It is as though the cherubim are transporting the very throne of Almighty God. So what Ezekiel is describing in our chapter is nothing less than the chariot of the Lord. And God is in the driver's seat, brothers and sisters. He always is. Who is in control? Not Nebuchadnezzar with all his chariots, but the Most High God. He holds the reins of power. He's not weak. He has not forgotten his people in exile, but he rides forth in heavenly majesty out to his church in exile to call Ezekiel to become his prophet. Do you see something of the glory of the Lord, brothers and sisters? It's the glory that we're going to sing about at the end of the service with Psalm 68. Lift up your voice and sing aloud to him who rides upon the clouds. To him be glory given. This is the glory that the eternal Son of God shared with his heavenly Father before he came into the world. And then when you think about that, what an incredible thing it is that the Lord Jesus would lay that glory aside and humble himself and become like a lowly servant, becoming lower than the angels, lower than these cherubim. During his earthly ministry, our Lord Jesus Christ once made what we call a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, while the crowd sang Hosanna and they waved palm branches in the air. But on that occasion, Matthew's gospel quotes Zechariah 9, where it says, Behold, your king comes to you lowly and sitting on a donkey. We call it a triumphal entry, but it was actually a humiliation for our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it this way. He who once rode upon the cherubim now rides on a donkey. He left behind his heavenly majesty for our sake, brothers and sisters. He became like one of us, taking the lowest place, the place of a servant, so that he might die the death of a sinner in our place. But now the Lord Jesus has also returned triumphant to the glory that he once enjoyed. He's enthroned at the Father's right hand, far above all angels and cherubim, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. To him belongs all dominion and power. And soon he will come again riding on the clouds with mighty angels and blazing fire, as we read in 2 Thessalonians 1. He will come with great glory. Long ago Ezekiel by himself saw the Lord come in his glory, but on that future day when Christ returns, every eye will see him. And those who have rejected him will flee in terror from before his majesty and will call on the mountains to cover them, because no one can stand before the glory of God. We come to our third point. And this third point is about the rainbow of God's grace. Now we sang earlier from hymn five, stanza three, the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see. 
Indeed, scripture teaches that no sinner can see the Lord face to face and live. And yet Ezekiel was allowed to see the glory of the Lord. That's what it says in verse 28 of our text. He saw God himself, and yet he lived to tell about it. How is that possible that he survived? Well, notice first of all that Ezekiel was not very close to the throne of God in this chapter. He gives a very detailed description of the living creatures, yes. He had a close look at them. But they are as close as Ezekiel comes to God's throne. The four living creatures stand between Ezekiel and God. God himself is much higher, of, much higher up above that platform, that expanse, and high above the throne. Notice also the first part of verse 28. It says there, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. We haven't seen many rainbows this summer because it's been so dry, but from time to time we do see spectacular rainbows in the sky. And rainbows remind us always of God's promise to Noah in Genesis 9 that he would never again destroy the world with a flood. Now sometimes we might think that the rainbow is put in the sky for us to look at, and it is indeed beautiful. However, that's not actually what God says in Genesis 9. He says, when I see the rainbow, then I will remember my covenant. So God actually puts the rainbow in the sky to remind him to be gracious. And now isn't it interesting, brothers and sisters, our text says that there is a rainbow around God's throne. No matter which way God looks, he sees the rainbow. He sees everything through a rainbow. Isn't that amazing? God can never forget his gracious promises. So yes, Ezekiel does see God's glory, but that glory is filtered through a rainbow of grace. And the rainbow is still there today, brothers and sisters. We read about it in Revelation 4, verse 3. There was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. God never forgets his grace. And we have even more grace in Jesus Christ, his Son. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain with all the cherubim woven into its fabric no longer stands between God and his people. The cherubim no longer block the way to paradise. The way to the tree of life is open again in Jesus Christ. In Christ we have access to the throne of God, the most holy place. Christ has paid for our sins, and he will present to his Father a church that is holy and blameless. How terrible it will be for those who reject the Lord Jesus and want nothing to do with him. For them, there is no atonement, no grace anymore. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A day is coming when this world will be destroyed by fire. 
and no rainbow will stop that day from coming. But for those who hope in the Lord, it is a day to look forward to because we will see God just as Ezekiel did. The God who loves his church and cares for her. The God who gave his son to die for her. And the God who sustains us from day to day. We will see him as he is. Oh, with his likeness then before us, how rich and full our joy will be. Amen. Let's now